guys, and welcome to the Moms and Murder podcast, a true crime podcast featuring myself, Mandy, and my dear friend, Melissa. Hi, Melissa. Hi, Mandy. How are you? I am doing fantastic. How are you? Even better than fantastic. Whatever that word is, that's me. Yes, we are doing awesome because at the end of last week's episode, we mentioned that we had a real treat coming up for you guys this week. And as promised, we have a very special guest joining us. Um, Allie Sweeney is back for her second annual visit to the Moms and Murder podcast. And we have another crazy story to share with you. At the end of the episode, Allie is going to tell us all about her latest project. And welcome, Allie. Oh, thank you. I was listening to the episode like, oh, I wonder what their special surprise is. And then I thought, oh, I think it's me. Yeah, it's you. It's always been you. I'm so thrilled to be back. Yes. Thank you so much for coming back again. We are so excited to have you back. Um, For those who aren't familiar with Allie Sweeney, I don't know who you are, but maybe there's some of you out there. Um, So she has produced numerous rom-com movies for Hallmark Movies and Mysteries and has recently been working on a franchise called The Chronicle Mysteries, which she has co-created and sold to Hallmark and has been the executive producer of. So all these things, these wonderful things that you're doing, Allie. Um, we're so excited about your new movies. And this franchise combines your love of rom-com stories, the conniving personality of your long-running soap character, Sammy Brady, and your love of true crime podcasts. All together in one place. It's amazing. It's remarkable. Yeah, thank you. So your new character, um, spoiler alert for those listening, is a podcast host. So it's just so perfect that you're here with us doing another episode of our show with us. Um, you're like, what did Melissa call you last time? It was you're... nice, whatever I said. Compliment. Nice and yeah. flattering. America's sweetheart is what I like to say. Yeah. And queen, but with a KW because she is. <laughs> <laughs> what does that mean? Oh, wait, I think it's the cool way of saying it. I think oh. the youths say queen, but yes, queen oh. with a KW. If I say queen, you're just like an old Queen Elizabeth. You don't want that. Yeah, <laughs> the band Queen is making a comeback, so I feel like there you go. It is cool again. It That's is, true. yeah. So as I've said a hundred times already, we're so excited to have you back with us, and we cannot wait to hear more about your new movies. But first, we have a bananas episode to break down. So, Allie, last time you were on the show, we discussed the murder of Kathleen Peterson, who is the subject of the well-known documentary called The Staircase, and it is the famous story that has the nation divided over whether the husband did it or the owl did it. So if you haven't checked out that episode of our show yet, it is number 33, and it's one of our favorite episodes. So we Highly recommend you check that out. Um, This time we're going to be discussing an equally wacky story out of Omaha, Nebraska. And before we get started, we're going to jump right into We Google This City. Omaha is the largest city in Nebraska and has a population of around 466,000 people, according to the 2017 census. In 1993, the Counting Crows debuted their first album, August and Everything After, which featured a song called Omaha. If you aren't familiar with the Counting Crows, first of all, how dare you? But you might also recognize them by a song that was on that same album called Mrs. Jones, which we know became a really big international hit. And Did you say Mrs. Jones? Mr. Jones. I said Mrs. Jones. Allie, I'm going through a lot. But... (laughs) You know what? Mrs. Mr. Jones had a Mrs. Jones, and that's really all you need to know about it. Um, okay. But, <laughs> but they also had a bunch of other great songs. What was I listening to today? Long December. I love that song. Uh, that I love I've that been playing song. a lot. Yeah. yeah. So um, 
Omaha is also home to the Bob Carey Pedestrian Bridge, which is affectionately known as Bob. And Bob is a 3,000-foot bridge that floats over the Missouri River and links over 150 miles of hiking and biking trail. But Bob also connects Nebraska and Iowa. Fun fact, if you stand on Bob State Line and take a photo, it is called bobbing as opposed to bobbing. <laughs> which is very real and will send you to jail or the hospital, depending on whether you are the bobber or the bobby. So <laughs> go for the bobbing, but but don't bob it anyone while you're there. <laughs> so, so remember a few years ago when we were all wearing face masks, masks and afraid we were going to die from Ebola? If Ebola ever becomes a thing again, you need to get your butt to the University of Nebraska Medical Center, where they have one of the leading high-level containment centers in the nation. In fact, they have hosted most of the nation's Ebola patients within the medical center. And lastly, in 2018, Omaha announced their new city slogan, which is this is a different one, which is we don't coast, which is a nod to the fact that they are hard workers and that they also have no coast or beaches in Omaha. The new slogan was met with very mixed reviews of people saying they either <laughs> did not get it or they didn't like it. Because of the controversy of this new slogan, I came up with a couple alternatives. And let me know what you guys <laughs> think of these, okay? <laughs> so the first one, if there's ever talk of like a haunting in the town or Omaha residents become notorious for like not responding to text messages, it could be changed to Omaha, we don't ghost. Um, the next one is, thank you. The next one is Omaha, you count crows, we'll count corn. And then, <laughs> please feel sorry for me. I need sympathy. Uh, the next one is Omaha, come to go bobbing, stay because you bobbited. <laughs> I feel like nobody wants to bob it, right? Lorena ruined that for everyone. Yeah, I feel like she's getting like new attention, right? I she mean, is. there's sort of been a resurgence there of like people sympathize, to, you know, sort of wondering if there's another side of that story. Yeah, which so I mean, maybe I don't know. She's taking a stand. Absolutely. And the last one is Omaha. We put the ah uh, in Ebola. And so that is it. <laughs> <laughs> I think Alex just shocked. rolled her eyes at me. <laughs> you don't do this for a living is all I can say, Melissa. I just I'm I'm shocked that people don't pay you money for these slogans. This is this is <laughs> hurtful and maybe a personal attack. <laughs> oh goodness. Okay. After that embarrassing thing, please, dear God, someone start this story. <laughs> okay. All right. Here we go. So in the fall of 2012, Carrie Farber brought her SUV into a mechanic repair shop to have some repairs done. Carrie was a 41-year-old single mother to a teenage son named Max and was a computer programmer by trade. Carrie was very intelligent and had a close relationship with both her son and mother. She wasn't interested in getting into a serious relationship at that point, which would be great news for a man named Dave Krupa, who was about to walk into her life. Dave was a single father of two who worked at an automotive repair shop. That's when he and Carrie locked eyes. Dave knew he couldn't ask her out at work, so he just let the idea of a relationship with Carrie go. A few weeks later, he was scrolling through a dating app and saw Carrie and wrote her and just said, hey, I know you, ha ha which honestly is kind of creepy. That ha-ha is very aggressive. <laughs> yeah, well, ha-ha, I don't know. That's your favorite thing to say, Melissa. 
And and it makes the it's a little different when you know the person. Like you can't come out of the like you know blue and come out with a ha ha because that can mean a lot of things. If you're already <laughs> friendly, you hear their tone of voice in the ha ha. There you go. No, this is more like a ha ha. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> so several weeks later, Carrie came back into the shop where Dave worked, and he asked her out. The two went to dinner and immediately hit it off. After dinner, Carrie went back to Dave's place, and while they were talking on the couch, Dave had a knock at his door. It was his on-again, off-again ex-girlfriend, Shanna Goyer, who goes by the name Liz. She said that she was just there to pick up a few things and would be on her way. After she left, Carrie told Dave, I know what's going on here. Just call me when things are over. And she left and passed Liz as she exited Dave's apartment. A few weeks later, Carrie invited Dave over to her place. The two met, and before things became intimate, she said to him that she was really just looking for a casual thing and that if he was not good with it, then he needed to let her know right away. But he was actually thrilled with this kind of arrangement because he had been known to not really like getting too serious with women that he was dating, and he would often break things off when things did get too serious. He had previously been in a long-term relationship with a woman named Amy Fora, who was the mother of his children. But after several years, I think they said it was like 13 years. Oh, it was a lot of years. Yeah, it was a very long time. He still didn't want to commit to her, and they ended up breaking up. And Amy described Dave as being emotionless, which I guess in her position, I can completely understand. Well, did you right. see him? He was emotionless. Well, yeah, I mean... <laughs> That was a good description. Yeah. Carrie and Dave continued seeing each other as often as possible. They were like definitely suited. But two weeks later, on November 13th, Carrie had stayed over at Dave's and Dave left for work. Carrie would soon be following behind to start her day. Carrie logged into Facebook around 6 a.m., logged out. You know things are bad when like we know exactly what time she logged into Facebook. Right. Like I feel like that's a you know, little time warning steps, yeah. to people. Yeah. Uh, Carrie logged into Facebook around 6 a.m. She logged out and at that point would be headed to her office. But around 10 in the morning, Dave gets a text from Carrie that asks if he wants to move in with her. He writes back saying no, that they've only known each other for two weeks. Uh, Although Dave said at this point, if he was going to be committed to someone, Carrie is the kind of lady he would commit to, which is kind of a nice thing for him to say. Like, you know, let him down gently, (laughs) right? Right. But shortly after that, Dave got a call, a message from Carrie saying that she was done with him and that she had a new boyfriend. All of this is kind of shocking to Dave, but he was just glad to know that things hadn't progressed with her and that he could just cut his losses, right? Around, it's such a guy reaction, right? Like, oh, well, I guess I know now about yeah, her. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, around 9.54 a.m. that morning, Carrie had unfriended Dave on Facebook. Well, that's, you know. You know that's The official. end of the line. Yeah, that's yeah. serious. An hour away in Macedonia, Iowa, was where Carrie's mom and stepdad lived. Carrie's mom, Nancy, described Carrie as a free spirit and an adoring mother. She said that Carrie also, unfortunately, had mood swings and depression and was eventually diagnosed with bipolar disorder. But through it all, Carrie stayed a loving and devoted mother to her beloved son, Max. Carrie's mom knew about Dave, but only knew him by his first name. On the afternoon of November 13th, 2012, Carrie did not pick up her son, Max, from school. That weekend, Carrie did not text her mom a few days after, but she finally texted her mom to say that she had quit her job and was moving to Kansas. 
Okay. So like, this is the part of the story where I was like, whoa, 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 slow down. Right. right? Um, I mean, it's hard because as, um, you know, we're all sort of moms and you know how you feel about your kids. And like, I, I don't know, I don't go to the grocery store without like checking in with my kids. Right. right. Um, so I felt like that was sort of a big shock to me, but the mom was explaining that Kansas wasn't a surprise because she knew that her daughter had been looking for work in Kansas and that if she had gotten the job, like they had already sort of discussed this possibility and that Max would stay with his grandparents so he could graduate from high school without uprooting his life, which like, look, it's a tough decision. Um, but you know, when you're trying to do what's best for your kid, like, and they're older like that, that's, that's a big deal, right? Uprooting their life, expecting them to like, just go to Kansas, um, is hard too. Right. So she's, got so many things she's thinking about. But a few days later, Max was attending a family wedding and his mom was supposed to come to it. And he kept looking for her and she never showed up. And hearing Max talk about it was just. That was so hard hearing him say like that he just kept looking up and it kept getting later and later. And then, oh my gosh, it was so awful watching him talk about that moment where he's like waiting for his mom who he hasn't seen and hasn't really spoken to. And it just broke my heart hearing him say that. It broke my heart. I know if I'm like five minutes late for picking up my kids from school, they're, they're so, they immediately jump to like, where are you? Are you okay? Right. You know, I mean, they're, they're so alert to stuff like that. And I just, I can't imagine how he must've felt like it must've been the longest, like two hours of his life, you know, right. at that wedding. Ugh, so sad. Soon after Carrie texted her mom that she had broken up with her boyfriend and she wanted to check into a mental facility. Nancy had absolutely no information except for the first name of this boyfriend, and she was worried, but she, you know, felt like she was hearing from Carrie, so she tried not to worry too much, but, you know, she had that mother's intuition that something was wrong, and Nancy tried to file a missing persons case. She talked to the detectives explaining her mental health history, and the detective said basically that you're still in contact with her, so... She's saying that she wants to be gone. While Nancy was getting these text messages, she decided to try and call Carrie, but Carrie would never pick up. The text messages from Carrie said she and Dave were moving in together. Carrie also texted her employer at the same time and announced that she was quitting her job, which did not sound... I mean, can you imagine, like, quitting your job via text? No, no. I don't know a lot of employers that would take that. Okay, so, but that is what happened. Carrie told her mom that she... that. With the move, she was selling her furniture, and she wanted to know if the person who was buying the furniture could go to Nancy's house to pick it up. She sent Nancy a photo of the check written for $5,000. Nancy said that until she actually spoke to Carrie on the phone, she would not be helping her with the furniture or anything else. And thank goodness Nancy put her foot down. Yeah. that And that whole thing was so bizarre. Like, you get no video calls. You get nothing. Like, it's not like she's saying, hey, my phone's not working. My picture's not working. My video's not working. She's sending a right. picture of something. But right. you're not going to get what you want. This is just me trying to get my way, you know, in the situation. So. Right. So with Carrie gone, Nancy decided to file for temporary guardianship of Max, and they worried that if Carrie did come back, she was clearly not doing well, and they didn't want her to pick Max up from school and just whisk him away. Nancy said that she struggled with this decision as she didn't want to hurt her daughter, but she was assured that this was just a temporary guardianship and that when Carrie showed back up, all of this whole situation could be fixed. 
So Nancy shared this um, check that she had this picture of with the police, and the police found out who had written the check. It was a woman named Shanna or Liz Goyer. This was the same woman that had previously dated Dave Krupa. The police realized this, and they decided to talk to Dave. Liz talked to the police and told them her checkbook was stolen and that she did not write any check to Carrie. Hmm. When the police finally talked to Dave, they made a visit to him at his job, and they asked if he knew anybody named Carrie. And his first thought was, oh, the crazy one. And this was his first thought because he had been getting bombarded with hundreds of text messages from Carrie every day. He would change his number, and still the text messages would continue. So Dave said that he didn't care where she was. He just wanted her to leave him alone. At this point, Carrie started texting the detective that was working the case. And I'm not really clear on exactly how this happens. I guess the detective may have sent her phone a message to see if she would reply. Otherwise, I don't know how she would have gotten the detective's phone number. (laughs) But in her text, Carrie says, I wish you would stop talking to Dave Krupa. And the the detective wrote back that they are happy to stop talking to Dave Krupa, but that they are working a missing persons case. And so until someone knows that she is not actually missing, they were going to keep searching for her. So the detectives get another text that says... I want one person to go away for destroying things for me. That is very ominous. Very, yeah, cryptic and ominous and all of those things. Yeah, it was really alarming. A lot of those text message conversations, like the, they were really extreme. And, um, you know, you could understand from Dave's point of view, he was like, I need this to stop coming into my phone. No matter who you right. are, you don't want to keep reading that. Like it starts to become upsetting. Right. And things really began to escalate at this point. Dave continues to get text messages from Carrie. They say these horrible things, um, you know, that like Liz is the reason they broke up. That's not one of the horrible things, but that like that was how it all started. And then she's talking about how terrible Liz is and she fluctuates between wanting to get back together with Dave, but then saying that she's done with him and how horrible he is. And there was like a lot of vulgar language in them. I mean, it was like really aggressive stuff. Liz realizes that she may be in danger about this time because now she is getting aggressive messages from Carrie and the police are reviewing those as well. She gets one that says to check her garage. Okay, this started to really freak me out. Right. She goes out and finds the words whore from Dave painted on the wall. Liz is obviously super freaked out that Carrie was able to get in her house without her knowledge because the like it was inside the garage right Right, like it was spray painted so yeah I mean like she had to make that happen which if I mean I don't know how I would sleep at night in my house (laughs) no that's like every scary movie somebody gets in your house like that yeah during this time Dave and Liz start talking and they are comparing notes they have no idea what is going on but they're kind of stuck like in this terrible mess together the police believe that Carrie is a stalker and maybe dangerous And Carrie is writing to Dave, telling him things in real time, like that she could see him in his house and she would say what he's doing or what he's wearing. And like it it is, she was correct. It's accurate. So he knew that she was, in fact, watching him, which, again, like every scary movie is like the creepiest thing. She also told Dave she had stolen his key and was coming and going in his house as she pleased. While all this was going on, Dave ended up buying a gun for protection, and he stored it at the top of his closet. Nancy and Max, 
meanwhile, um, are continuing to write back to Carrie via the text conversations, right? Carrie continues to write things on her Facebook wall, and she returns text messages to her family. Carrie's father had cancer, and he died during this time. Carrie missed the funeral and wrote to her mom saying that she was sorry she missed the funeral, but she later posted on Facebook that she and Dave Krupa were getting married. Carrie continued to miss big life events over the course of the next several years, including Max's high school graduation, which is just heartbreaking. Mm. Every time he was on there, I just wanted to cry. Well, I wanted to hug him, and I'm not a hugger, yeah. but I literally felt the need to hug that kid. So Nancy and Max didn't know what to believe. They didn't think Carrie would have missed all these big things, but every time she would write to them, it just kind of gave them more hope that she was, you know, alive, and she just had this different life. So they would just hope that, you know, this was all really happening. So she did decide to write her mom on Mother's Day to say Happy Mother's Day, but she... Nancy writes back and says, you know, if you love me, you're going to call me. And so she did not write back at that point. Max wrote her on Facebook one day, just the word hi. And Carrie wrote back to him and said, hey, little man, how are you? And Max responded by saying, I have three questions. Number one, what's my middle name? Number two, what was our first boxer's name? And number three, who was my best friend as a little kid? And Carrie never responded to any of Max's simple questions. So Liz, at this point, continues to be harassed by Carrie as well. She receives one message that says, I'm in your garage. What should I do to your car? I see my handiwork is still on your wall. And she attaches another photo from inside the garage. So as the months went by, Carrie's messages become more and more intense. In one of the more unsettling texts she sent to David, it said that she had actually kidnapped Liz, and she attached this photo as proof of the kidnapping. It's it's this picture of this woman that's bound up, but you can't see her face at all, and it's taken in a way where you really couldn't see her face. So Dave sees this picture, writes her back, and says, nah, I don't believe you. Like, you're not showing me anything real. And so at this point, she sends a fake obituary that she made about Liz. And in essence, it says like, you know, Dave, we've talked about Liz being dead and I'm going to find someone to do this for us. So she also says in this message, should I have her kids killed as well? Oh just uh, so upsetting, just increasing in intensity and just craziness, really. And no one's able to find her. And it's just obviously scaring everybody. I think we have to remind the audience at this point that it was 2012, right? Because I feel like, you know, um, you know, today, or what, like, I don't know, maybe everyone was a little bit sharper to checking locations on texts. But oh, even that's just, true. you know, um, in 2012, like that was a much harder thing to get a hold of yeah. than it is today. So we're going to get back to this after a quick word from this week's sponsors. We know buying bras is on the top of absolutely no one's list. In fact, it falls somewhere on the list near going to the eye doctor and filing my taxes. Thankfully, now there's Third Love. Third Love helps you find the perfect bra and fit by taking their Fit Finder quiz. The quiz is super easy and fun and takes less than a minute to complete. It goes over a few questions that I didn't even know would be key to helping me find a great bra. Over 12 million women have taken the quiz to date, so you know it's tried and true. 
Third Love helps you identify your breast size, which actually matters when finding a good fit and shape and find styles that actually fit your body. Hands down, no questions asked. Third Love makes the most comfortable bra I have ever owned, and I know it'll be the same for you. Third Love sent us both bras, and I loved mine so much, I just purchased another one. A big issue I've had with bras in the past is that the straps always seem to slip, but they don't with Third Love, and they have tagless labels so there's no itching in that weird place in your back that you can't even reach to scratch. Third Love knows there's a perfect bra for everyone, so right now they are offering our listeners 15% off your first order. Go to thirdlove.com slash murder now to find your perfect fitting bra and get 15% off your first purchase. That's thirdlove.com slash murder for 15% off your first purchase today. I used to spend an obscene amount of time on Pinterest looking at adorable outfits, pinning them, and trying to recreate them on my own, knowing good and well I'd never drop $85 on the J. Crew shirt I was swooning over. Lucky for me and you, Poshmark is now a thing, and oh, what a thing it is. This week I found a J. Crew black and white gingham shirt that is a tall, which for me is key. It is absolutely adorable, and the best part is I got it for only $15, and I can pair it with a pair of Chelsea booties I bought for $20 that were brand new for $75. We are jumping into spring down here in Florida, and I love knowing that I can switch up my wardrobe by selling some of my winter clothes on Poshmark and buying new clothes for spring on Poshmark as well. Like Mandy said, once you're done wearing something, you can easily sell it on Poshmark. Upload photos, name your price, and you're halfway there. Once you have a sale, Poshmark sends you a prepaid shipping label in your email and you drop the package in the mail. Easy peasy. With Poshmark, selling is easy for both the buyer and the seller. Find deals for clothes, shoes, accessories for women, kids, and men for brands like Coach and Converse. Listeners of Moms and Murder get $5 off your first purchase. Just enter the invite code MURDER5 when you sign up. That's invite code MURDER5. And now back to the episode. Carrie sent another message to Dave shortly after saying that she had found an apartment and it was just a few buildings away from his. He gave her an address and an apartment number. Dave turned this information over. The police pay Carrie a visit. They arrived at the address of the apartment building, but the apartment number that she had given Dave wasn't correct. But near the complex, they did find something of Carrie's. They found her SUV that was still partially buried in the snow. The police combed through the entire vehicle and found one fingerprint. It was on a can of mints in the center console. Police took that fingerprint and ran it through the national database, but there were no matches. The police felt that with the amount of snow on the vehicle, it had likely been there for months and Carrie could not have been driving it. On August 17th, I have so many things to say right now. I just need to say, say whatever. Like, get him out. Oh get him gosh. out, Ali Sweeney. Yeah, I know. I, I like, I just find that great. I mean, like, I, I, you must just, uh, I, I can't even. <laughs> Carrie would send him a message of the address and then the cops are like now canvassing the area because obviously that address means something. Um, so I think it's so smart that they sort of like widen their search and then right. they find her car and then it's buried in snow. And, and um, I mean, obviously they didn't find that fingerprint like right away. So like the work that went into searching that car and like after everything comes up super clean, which is also weird. Like how many fingerprints are in my car? I mean, right. uh, I can only imagine the um, goldfish that they would find from <laughs> 2012 right. um, in between the seats. And so, um, you know, I, I just think that's insane. Like this one mint has yeah. like, you know, the can of mints has the fingerprint and then it doesn't, like it doesn't turn up in the database. That must have just been so incredibly frustrating. Right. 
On August 17th, Liz was moving things from her old house to a new one that she was renting. As she went back to pick up more things and her animals, she saw that her house was on fire. And the fire killed her two dogs, her cat, and her pet snake. This was so sad. This was such a sad part for me. I'm such an animal lover. This was horrible. Liz was devastated by the loss. And this only furthered the relationship between Liz and Dave because he felt terrible that she was going through all this because of a woman he had dated, Carrie. So Liz gets a text message from Carrie. And this was horrible, too. She she texted, I hope you and your kids died in that fire. It does not get more dark than that. That's absolutely terrible. And you just have to imagine every day they're dealing with this, not once a day, multiple times a day, constant, constant, constant. Somebody's following you. Now somebody's set your house on fire. Now your pets are dead. They want your kids dead. Like, where does it end? And the police are helping you. And so far they don't have any, you know, they don't know where this person is. Right. I mean, Dave, like, must be beside himself at this point. Like, how do you even keep your job? Like, how do you go about the rest of your life? Yeah. Right. So the following Christmas, Nancy got a call that Carrie was at a local homeless shelter. So she contacted a police officer and they went with her to go check out the shelter and see if they could find Carrie. When they arrived, they showed um, Carrie's photo to the man that was running the shelter. And he said that nobody matching her description had ever been there. So it was yet another dead end for the devastated mother. Nancy began to worry if somebody may have kidnapped Carrie and actually stolen her identity. And she talked to the police about this, but they said that they would investigate it. Um, Although I kind of got the impression that nobody really believed that was true at this point. Right. Um, They were still kind of working on this theory that Carrie was somewhere out there and they would find her eventually, I guess. So... Carrie continued to write these chaotic Facebook messages. Um, She would say things like, I'm a grown woman and I can leave if I want to. And she even at one point said that she, you know, her son Max didn't want to come with her, even though she, you know, asked him to and all these crazy things. So Dave Krupa continued to be terrified as he received text message after text message, email after email, all from Carrie. And, of course, he has already seen now what she's done to Liz's house, and he didn't want to stick around to see what was going to happen to him. In February of 2015, Dave decided to move to be closer to his children in Council Bluffs, Iowa. He had hoped that Carrie wouldn't be able to find him there, although he became concerned when his gun had gone missing from the top of his closet. He bought another one as this fear that he had of Carrie never went away, even though the text messages and emails did start to slow down. And so did his relationship with Liz really at this point. They kind of, you know, that fire stopped burning as hot, I guess, at this point in time after he moved away. In April of 2015, two new detectives heard about the case of the missing woman, Carrie Farber, and their names were Sergeant Detective Jim Doty and Corporal Ryan Davis. The case was very intriguing to these two, and they decided to take another look at it. After reading through the file, they decided to look at this case in a new light. They wanted to each research it from a different angle. So one looked at it with the theory of Carrie being alive and well, and the other took a look at it through the eyes of we are looking for a person who is no longer alive. And isn't that amazing? 
Yeah. Yeah. I feel like that kind of changes everything when they have these two new sets of eyes that have the same evidence, but they're just saying, we're just going to look at this different than people have before. And I like wanted to cheer when that happened because they just knew they're like on the right track now. It's just so smart. Like I I just, you know, again, want to celebrate that these guys weren't just willing to give up, that they wanted to try again and that they were going to like, okay, let's step back and start over. And it just, it was just really like, yes, you want to cheer for these two detectives for, for getting to the truth. Yeah. And it was kind of like, this wasn't given to them by the chief or whatever. They heard about this case and were like, oh, I want to look into this. Like there's so many interesting things. So it was like, they were in it from the beginning, you know, as soon as they heard about it, they were ready. So these detectives start to make their rounds to talk to everyone associated with the case. They talk to Dave, who thinks Carrie is alive, and he's still receiving these crazy text messages and emails from her. He actually turns over everything he has to the police, which included over 11,000 emails from Carrie. And this is about a three-year time span. So, I mean, several years, but 11,000 emails. I would throw my computer out the window. (laughs) (laughs) I think I actually have that many unread in my inbox right now. (laughs) But I think like, I mean, he was changing his phone number and she would get it. So I don't even know if him changing his email, which he may have, would have really stopped her. Like she was able to get this information that he wasn't giving to her, you know? They were actually scheduling a time to talk to Liz when one day Detective Davis was walking down the hall and walks right past Liz, who was actually on the way into the office to file a harassment report against Amy Fora, who is the mother of David's kids. So the detective working this case quickly asked if he could be the one to interview Liz, which he was allowed to do. But Detective... um, Detective Doty, I believe it was, he was the one that was like, when I saw her, it was like watching a ghost. Like I'm doing all this research and listening and it's like watching a ghost, you know, walk down the hall. So he was really excited he got to sit and talk to her. Liz tells Detective Davis that she believes that Amy was the one who's behind all these messages. She knows that Dave and Carrie only dated for two weeks. So Liz just does not think Carrie would be this upset over Dave. But Amy had always wanted to be with Dave. She has his kids and he still doesn't want to commit to her. So Detective Davis told her that he would do what he could to help Liz out. So after meeting with the police a few days later, Liz was actually taking a walk in the park when she said that a woman approached her from behind, put a gun up to her head, and Liz believes this whole time that this is Amy Fora. So she stood up, and when she does this, the woman actually shoots her in her leg and takes off. Crazy. So, like, now we're talking, like, injuries, and, you know, it's escalated so much. So the police quickly go to visit Amy to talk to her about this shooting, and the officer does the most genius thing to me, and he feels the hood of Amy's car before he actually knocks on Amy's door, and he realizes that her like hood is cold, so she had not been driving that car in the past few hours. Officers bring her down to the station, and they give her a polygraph test. Amy actually fails the polygraph test, Um, but after speaking to neighbors who confirmed Amy was at the house all day, plus her car was literally cool to the touch, they believed that Amy had never left her house and therefore could not have been the person that shot Liz. Detectives believed at this point that Liz had shot herself. What? What a huge, yeah, I mean, (laughs) that was like record scratch moment for me. Right? Um, I mean, because it's like the whole house of cards unfolds at that point, um, or the house of cards collapses at that point, but like 
shooting they think she shot herself like can you imagine shooting yourself in the leg no (laughs) for any reason like there is I there's just a lot of things I want in life but shooting myself (laughs) in the leg is not a way to get low down there (laughs) yeah the detectives have Liz's phone and they begin the tedious task of going through all of its contents Anthony Cava is an IT supervisor, and for $1 a year, he is a reserve deputy after hours. Uh, I love that he donates right? time. That's amazing. Like, the, there were just so many great officers and people involved, too, in this case. Absolutely. Um, they're such heroes. Okay, so he begins to work with police on going through Liz's phone, and he searches IP addresses and finding photos that she may have deleted or hidden on her phone. Which, by the way, I can't do any of those things. So (laughs) I can hardly make a call on my phone. (laughs) They find in Liz's phone a photo of Carrie's phone. And she had a photo of Carrie's SUV on her phone. They were able to determine the photo was taken while Carrie's SUV was missing. And they also found that strange photo of the kidnapped and bound woman that Carrie had messaged to Dave. Okay. Okay. That's a lot to unpack. (laughs) Yeah. Things are starting to really unravel quickly in this story. Anthony was also able to find a YouTube video called The Husband's Cheating Place, which was a video taken inside of Dave's home. He was able to match the IP address to Liz's house. They were able to match almost everything, including photos, emails, texts, everything to Liz's home IP address. They decided to compare the fingerprint that they had found from that mint tin. And it is Liz's fingerprint. It's a match. They asked Liz to tell them all the interactions she had with Carrie. And she once again said she only ever saw her in passing at Dave's apartment. Just, I I mean, like all of a sudden, just even when you're watching the show, like, or, you know, like, taking in this case, it sort of all comes at you at once when you realize all the things that happened, because now it's, you know, I mean, the fingerprints sort of like the giveaway, but like she did all of those things for years. Wasn't a long weekend. She lit her own house on fire with her animals inside. Like what kind of a person? I just cannot even believe like the levels that she went to, to make it seem like Carrie was doing these things. I mean, who lights their own house on fire, especially with their their pets inside? I mean, like, you're a monster. As you said, there's something so – also, like, I know that there's nothing that justifies it. Right. But you could sort of, like, maybe understand a night of craziness or, you know, rage, you know, like if you're in the heat of the moment and you do something insane. But to carry on this trade – for so long and with so many people, I mean, like, right. her, you know, the son and the mother and the employer, I mean, like the work, the, how do you do anything else with your day? Like the work that went into this. Right. And, and then the horrible thing she did, like, it's so, it's so horrible. Yeah. And all the people she hurt over and over and over and over again, you know, every time her son or the mom thought maybe she's, you know, that's really her. Like that just reopens Ah. and they have to grieve over and over and over again. I just, yeah, this is, I don't, I I don't have anything else to say. Yeah. I I mean, what do you say? There's really, yeah, it's, it's, it's crazy. And then you think about how then she herself chooses to go into the police department and accuse 
the the you know uh, Dave's the mother of Dave's children of harassing her. Right. Like she goes in there and and seeks out the police to help her as if she's someone's victim and then and then basically attributes all of her feelings and her motivations on this other poor woman. Right. Like I I mean that that is a whole other level of psychopathy yeah. right there. Right. For sure. So all this is happening right with the detectives and I guess Dave and then obviously Liz though she doesn't know it yet. But meanwhile, Nancy and Max have no idea that there are new detectives on this case, right? So one day, Detective Doty and Davis come to the house to talk to Nancy. And Nancy said she was sort of standoffish with first. I mean, her experience, you know, honestly, with the yeah. police and when she was filing this uh, missing person report in the first place, like, you know, it wasn't super productive from her point of view. And so, you know, she never got anywhere with the police, but she quickly realizes this time is going to be different. The detectives say that they believe those messages um, were not from Carrie and that they think she did not leave on her own. Nancy said she changed her tune when she heard that the detectives were really, truly investigating the case and that they were seeing the same things that she was and, you know, that they realized that Carrie is not a monster, that, you know, there must be something else going on here. Right. Well, it has to be so hard with the detectives telling you, well, she could have left and she has, you know, has had a history of doing some other things. And so you can't say this isn't her. Plus you're getting these messages. So I can see how she's just, she's been through so much, you know, this whole time for years. Detectives wanted uh, more information from Liz and to find out exactly what happened to Carrie. So they continue to talk to her. And after the shooting in the park, the detectives have, of course, have her come down to the police department. So they actually do what we've talked about before in the show, which is like a ruse, and they lie to her and tell her that they have found a body and they believe that it belongs to Carrie, but they were waiting on labs to confirm. Detective Davis told Liz that they were working to build a case against Amy and they needed her help since Amy seemed to still be texting Liz. So they told Liz that if she got any messages from Amy saying that she had anything to do with Carrie's death or disappearance to let them know and that they would be able to use that in their case. At first, the emails Liz was getting from Amy were very vague and the police thanked her but told her that they really needed more than what they were getting. Liz said that she was happy to help however she could, and she asked Amy um, in a text message, if you really shot me, what kind of gun was it? Did you ever meet up with Dave's ex, Carrie? Liz said that Amy responded in a text that said, the gun was Dave's. Don't worry, you didn't get it as bad as crazy Carrie. So Amy continued writing to Liz and said that when she saw Carrie, Carrie said that Dave was her husband and that she attacked Amy three or four times. And that's when Amy attacked her and then stuffed her in a bag with crap. That was a quote. Here's a question. Doesn't she know that, like, I don't know, they're getting the police are checking these text messages. So if Amy's sending these text messages, she's not very bright to be like, here's the kind of gun it was like this at this point, she's being told to give more information. So I think she's just panicked and hoping this case will come against Amy and is like, let me just lay it all out there, even though based on all the other stuff she did, it doesn't make sense that she was so forthcoming. You know what I mean? Like it just all of a sudden it's so obvious that Amy's doing all this. That doesn't well, make sense. It was actually something I was talking to with Laura Richards on uh, Real Crime Profile, but she was saying that there's a 
that especially when people get away with something for a long time, there does start to become an arrogance and they have been succeeding for so long that it's not, you know, you can really sort of believe it seems crazy to us because we know how it ended. But like she's from the position of, of like her her tricks were her scheme was working right. uh, for years. Mm-hmm. I mean, that I mean, years mm-hmm. she was getting away with it. So she gets a little cocky. Right. Yeah. Like and thinks that she can really hang Amy with these charges um, and that she's the smartest person in the room. And that if she tells this story, the police, everybody's going to believe her. Right. So um, it just goes to show her, you know, her ego or, yeah. you know. So Dave heard um, from Liz that the police think that Amy is involved. And he's obviously very confused at this point as he is now living closer to Amy. And he's thinking that he was getting away from danger, not moving towards it. So Detective Davis can't tell Dave what they really know. But on this recorded call, when Dave asks what he should do, Detective Davis says that he can't say much, but he would move in with Amy and avoid Liz like the plague. So Dave did just that. He moved in with Amy, who, as we said before, is the mother of his children, and they have a long history together. Um, Of course, Liz is not happy about any of this. She becomes livid and says in an interview with the police that the only person that benefits is Amy. She shoots someone, kills someone, and lives with Dave. So this is <laughs> this is all, you know, Liz, more of her crazy shenanigans. And we are going to get into even more of this story after a quick break for a word from this week's sponsors. We're excited to tell you guys all about HelloFresh. If you are a big fan of easy, convenient, and delicious, HelloFresh has your name written all over it. HelloFresh is a meal delivery service that will change the way you eat. You can choose from their three different plans, classic, veggie, and family. HelloFresh meals are delivered right to your door in recyclable, insulated packaging. My daughter loves to cook with me on HelloFresh nights, which is great because thanks to HelloFresh's simple recipes, they're actually outlined on step-by-step instruction cards. I can actually feel confident as we work together to make a delicious meal. And let me tell you, these meals are delicious. And the best part is you won't spend all night in the kitchen because these recipes only take around 30 minutes to make. HelloFresh also knows that you are busy. So they make your account on their website very easy to manage and they give you the ability to choose your delivery date to match your busy life. And you can pause deliveries while you're on vacation. My family and I loved the creamy dill chicken recipe with potatoes and green beans. The creamy dill sauce was delicious and tasted great with the chicken or the veggies. Everyone in my house thoroughly enjoyed it and cleaned their plates. For a total of $60 off, that's $20 off your first three boxes, visit HelloFresh.com slash MomsAndMurder60 and enter code MomsAndMurder60. Again, for $60 off, that's $20 off your first three boxes, visit HelloFresh.com slash MomsAndMurder60 and enter the code MomsAndMurder60. Last week was Valentine's Day, which means someone we all know is now engaged. So congrats to the happy couple, and now comes the fun part planning your wedding. If you're one of these newly engaged couples, do what over 500,000 couples have already done and use Zola to make planning your wedding and registering super easy. 
When you're newly engaged, it's hard to know where to start, but with Zola, you can create a free wedding website that's so easy, it just takes minutes to set up, and you can choose from over 100 wedding website designs that are sure to fit any couple's unique style. You can also add your Zola registry on your wedding website so guests can get the details they need and are able to buy your wedding gift in one convenient and beautiful place. When your registry is easy to use and find, you're 95% less likely to get homemade oven mitts from your Aunt Phyllis. It's just science. Plus, your guests will love free shipping and returns, price matching, and more. When my husband and I got married many moons ago, we had guests coming from all over. Because not everyone was from the same place, we had to register at a lot of different stores so everyone could find something. Zola would have made it so much easier to just register for gifts so anyone could just hop online to buy. When I was on their website, I just found it to be super easy to move around on and somewhere you can easily tell your family and friends to go to, and it makes it just an easy process for everyone. Plus, you can register for gift cards to your favorite brands like Delta, Southwest, Hulu, Home Depot, and more. Or you can ask for funds for your honeymoon or new home. The possibilities are endless. Zola's website also makes it easy to personalize your wedding website with all of your wedding details, including an FAQ, because who wants to tell their mom's creepy boss that he can't bring his new internet girlfriend as his plus one when you can just direct him to your FAQ? Start your free wedding website and also get $50 off your registry on Zola. Go to zola.com slash moms. Again, to start your free wedding website and also get $50 off your registry on Zola, go to zola.com slash moms. And now back to the episode. At this point, Liz gives detectives act- access to her email. She is getting even more emails from Amy. And in one email, Amy writes, I reached over to Carrie in the car and stabbed her in the stomach. She begged me to let her talk to her family. So Amy's just giving detail after detail after detail in these emails that anyone can read. So Amy also says in this email that Carrie had a yin and yang symbol tattoo that was actually on her thigh. And that's something that her family knew about, but that wasn't like public information. And after hearing this, detectives take off to look for Carrie's SUV. They realize it's been a few years since Carrie went missing and that the SUV at this point has been sold, but they realize that there could be stuff, you know, if if Amy, quote unquote, Amy has stabbed Carrie in the vehicle, there could be blood that they didn't see before. So they find out where the SUV is and they test the front seat and they find traces of blood and it was a match to Carrie's. So the police pick Liz up on a misdemeanor. They never really talk about what that misdemeanor was, but they end up really talking to her the entire time about Carrie. Liz at this point realizes very quickly that this isn't the normal conversation they were having before and, you know, what she thought about Amy's involvement. And they may actually think at this point that she's involved. So Liz says she doesn't know what's going on, but she's very worried that something's going to happen and her kids won't have their mom, which made me sick. Yes, her kids would not have their mom, but do you care about anybody else's kids? I mean, you know, just. Well, that too. But honestly, thank God her kids, you know, aren't going to be parented by her. Right. I mean, she's capable of anything. Detective Doty asks her to tell them why her fingerprint would be on the mint can in the car if she only saw Carrie that one time in the hallway at Dave's. Liz said she didn't know why. She had never been in her car, and she at that point asks for an attorney, which I, you know, is always the smartest move I always, in that position. Well, I, like, whenever she was talking to the police, and I, like, I watched, you know, the interview footage or whatever, and 
it just always reminds me when someone like when the police catch you in something that, you know, like they have you caught, you know, they have your fingerprint in this woman's car and to sit there and just be like, I don't know how I got there. Like, it just reminds me of like my kids trying to get out of like being in trouble. It's like, okay, I know what you did. You know, I know that you at least were there or had a part of it. So it was just very like, I don't know. It's just awkward and uncomfortable to watch someone try to sit there and say like to the police, like, I don't know how it got there. Like really, there's only one way your fingerprint gets inside of someone's car. There's only the one way. Yeah. Yeah. No, exactly. You're like, and for me, I'm always like, Oh really? Do you think, was it the dog? Is that, is that what we're talking about? (laughs) Like, that's it. That's the only people left. Detective Doty asks her to tell them why her fingerprint was in the mint can. And Liz says she doesn't know why she asked for the attorney. The interview ends and she bonded out for the misdemeanor charge, but they needed more evidence to charge Liz in Carrie's murder, which I found like, I was just screaming it at my TV. Like I, I, you can't let her go. What's happening? Right. Um, but I don't even have a body on December 22nd, 2016 pr- prosecutors felt they had enough evidence to indict Liz for the murder of Carrie Farver. Detectives are still working on having as much possible evidence as possible because they don't have a body, right? Right. So they have to go back to Dave and ask, is there anything else that he might remember or can think of that would possibly help with the case? That's when Dave remembers an old tablet he had in storage. And it was a memory card which helped seal Liz's fate. When it was time for Liz's trial, she chose to have her case heard by a judge instead of a jury. The prosecution had a plethora of evidence and lays it all out. They had Carrie's blood in her car, Liz's fingerprint on the mint tin that was found in Carrie's car, the emails that read like confessions, IP locations that led police straight to Liz's door, and they even found a purchase on Carrie's bank card. Mm -hmm. One of the items was for a shower curtain. So police looked at what bath curtain was specifically bought, and they knew it was familiar as they had seen it previously in Liz's house. Prosecutors argued that although they didn't have a body, they had more than enough evidence that Carrie was dead and Liz was the culprit. Mm, crazy. So the prosecutor said that on the morning of November 13th, 2012, Carrie was logged into Facebook at around 6 a.m. Dave went to work and she logged off and was getting ready to leave for work herself. At 9.54 a.m., Carrie's Facebook page was accessed and Dave was deleted as a friend. From then on, Liz became Carrie, online and in text messages and emails. Detectives dug through the memory card that Dave had found for them and they found thousands of photos on it. One of the photos was of a tattoo of of Chinese symbols that meant mom on someone's foot. They said the foot had lines on it and was clearly the foot of a deceased person. They were able to track down Carrie's tattoo artist and match it to one that uh, Carrie had done years before. They also found a photo of a leg with a yin uh, yin and yang symbol, which was also a tattoo that Carrie had. And the yin and yang tattoo was something that the police had heard from, you know, fake Amy, who was really Liz, um, when they brought it up when she said that she had killed Carrie. Liz's defense attorney admitted that this case sounded like a crazy movie because it wasn't a real story. None of this had even happened. Um, That even if all these photos, emails, and texts are out there, it doesn't prove that Liz ever murdered Carrie, which... But what what does it prove? Best case scenario, you don't know a lady's missing and you take over her life and send all these pictures and do all these creepy things. That's... Right. That's it? That's what we got? (laughs) Yeah. I don't quite get that. (laughs) 
So in the end, the judge finds Liz guilty of first-degree murder and second-degree arson for setting her own home on fire. She was sentenced to life in prison plus 18 to 20 years for the arson charge. By the Uh, way, I love that. Yeah. I felt so, like, I mean, really, at that point, there's so much you can't undo, right? So much harm and damage to these other people, the families, you know, and, and... Poor Dave, who's like traumatized for life, probably never going to date another woman ever. Um, (laughs) And I mean, um, but but just it felt like satisfying that the judge not only sentenced her to life, but also was like, oh, and by the way, another 18 to 20 for the fire. And, you know, the firefighters who risked their lives to go help you put out that fire and poor animals like, oh. Yeah. Not enough they could do to this woman. Do you think it was smart of her to have a judge on the case instead of a jury? Do you think she would have had a better chance if it would have been a jury? Because then you just need to sway one person with that. Right. I think it's weird that she chose the judge. I think the judge, because also I think a jury is more likely to be swayed by there was no body. Right. Whereas the judge probably has more... um, I don't know, technical experience with the law to understand like, did they, or did they not actually sort of meet the criteria to establish it? And so probably you're right. Like a jury, you know, you might've been able to convince a jury more on the like, Oh, this is ridiculous kind of argument. Yeah. Um, I almost wondered if she thought of that, like for appeals going forward, if this doesn't go well, then maybe I could appeal and say I was under duress and chose to have a judge and I should have said jury, but my attorney wanted a judge. You know what I mean? Like you're kind of setting yourself up. She's obviously somebody that's thinking ahead, no matter how she's thinking. So there was an update that we right. have in that Max is in school. Actually, he probably's graduated by now um, to be a software engineer, just like his mom. And Aww. yeah, and he was super thankful that they were able to restore his mom's good name and to convict the person that so selfishly took her from them um, in August. And that's one thing like just, you know, they're just Liz ran her name through the mud and just made it where she was this vile, terrible person that said these terrible things to her mother, to her son. And, you know, they know it's not her, but I'm sure that would be really hard to just think of. Hard to hear. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And to think other people who don't know. Right. Um, And I love that he went into that same career and that he's able to remember, like he can think of all those things. I mean, he's never going to be able to unremember that. Right. But that he knows that wasn't her, like he knows for sure in the core of his being, as opposed to like having to believe on faith. Right. And I, I think that's, you know, we can be grateful to those detectives for that. Absolutely. In August of 2018, the public defender for Liz filed an appeal with the Nebraska Supreme Court and said that while there was a lot of evidence in the case of Liz, there was only very little circumstantial evidence of murder or arson. Okay. Uh, Lori, an assistant to the Douglas County Public Defender, also argued that Liz's trial attorney, James Martin Davis, was so ineffective that she deserved a new trial. In November of 2018, the court rejected Liz's request for an appeal. Judge Stephanie Stacy wrote this in the court's opinion. Quote, a rational fact finder could conclude that the state proved Golier killed Farver purposely and with deliberate and premeditated malice. There is no merit to Golier's claim that the evidence was insufficient to support her conviction for first degree murder. A.K.A. You go, girl. Yeah. Yeah. You did it. (laughs) And stop complaining. Yeah. Um, I mean, look, like, you know, I follow other cases where 
and again, it's sort of the same thing all the time when people like this are trying to use the system to play the system, you know, like there are people legitimately out there with a real case about right. ineffective assistance of counsel. And, you know, thinking that people like this are wasting the court's time, it's just so frustrating to me because, um, you know, for her to like go through that whole process, you know, it cost us all the taxpayers money mm-hmm. and time. And, um, you know, there you are like filing these things and the judge has to write this whole ruling when like everyone's time would be better spent. And, you know, she should just sit there in prison and think about what she did forever. <laughs> Absolutely. You are absolutely right. Well, thank you for talking to us about that today. And we we did talk about this missing persons case, which is the theme of your first movie in the Chronicles mystery called Recovered. And we wanted to talk to you a little bit about this new series and what we have to look forward to. Mandy and I got to watch this first movie and it was so great. I totally loved it. It was fun and exciting and I'm not using very good adjectives, but it was just like... Yeah. <laughs> I love that my daughter could watch it with me and it's like crime and mystery, but it's not like overtly, you know, gratuitous, you know, with violence or anything. Yeah, I mean, look, I think that for us, what we're looking to do is thread this needle of, you know, really compelling, exciting mystery and challenging the audience to like follow the clues with Alex, my my character, and Drew, the, you know, handsome journalist that she's working with. Um, But that it can also be something your kids could watch or you could watch with your parents and you don't have to sort of worry, you know, if you're not in the mood or if you're not the kind of person who likes gory graphic stuff, like sometimes there's just only so much that you can take of that, you know, and you want to be challenged with an exciting mystery or even a murder mystery, but you don't like really, there's some things you can't unsee. Right. (laughs) And um, so for me, like I, I love this the crime genre i am fascinated by true crime and the justice system and all of it right we talk about these cases um and i and i think it's also interesting but i think there's a way to do it without um uh pushing those other bound like unnecessary boundaries you can still make it exciting and different and so for me that was what i loved about doing the chronicle mysteries is that because she's a podcaster you can really go after cold case files and tell exciting stories and dramatic and dangerous stories. Yeah. Um, when did the idea come up for this series? Because we know you love podcasts. And when did you decide, I want to be a podcaster in this movie? Oh, it's so funny. Yeah. I, it just so happened to be like at the beginning of last year, I was just having some conversations with people on the internet and I thought like no I'm just teasing um <laughs> yes you girls are absolutely my inspiration for these movies and I have to say it. um <laughs> hold on I have to make sure everything's recording let me just double check everything <laughs> I don't care if we lose the rest the of it <laughs> I, I was like looking at the two of you in that closet from okay. last year and I was thinking like oh it's never gonna be a closet like just preparing you now that uh <laughs> We got to make it a little more glamorous than the way it really goes down. <laughs> My life is full of glamour, Ali Sweeney. Full of it. <laughs> <laughs> well, you do live in Florida. So oh, there's some glamour. Oh, I thought you were. I know. That was a dick. I, I'm in California. I, I can't talk. But, um, <laughs> uh, you guys are just all over the news right now. Um, all right. So, but yeah, no, I, you, I love listening to your podcast and listening to a bunch of other podcasts that I, I have really enjoyed getting into and Um, You know, unfortunately, I spend a lot of time in the car and commuting and you guys keep me company. And I really 
um, enjoy the stories. And I find that there are some podcasts, you know, they're really in the news and actually making a difference and, um, and, and looking in these cold cases. And it was just so fascinating and exciting to me that I, I started to realize there was a character to be had there of, uh, and a story to tell um, in a scripted series about how it can be dangerous and how you can, you know, get a different outcome in a case or whatever. Right. And so um, it really, it, all the podcasts that I listened to inspired me. And I just thought it was super relevant right now with, you know, all these indie podcasts that are out there. Yeah. That's awesome. What did you want to see in your character, Alex, that you were not seeing on TV? Well, first of all, I think what Hallmark does really well is these female protagonists. You know, you can really count on Hallmark to provide strong leading women um, characters that we all get behind. And you watch it and you feel like that could be you, you know. Uh, I think the the spin I wanted to put on it was this armchair detective um, thing that's happening and how, you know, you're listening to these shows or hearing about the interrogation and you do get that sense in you of like, Oh, I, I could tell when he was lying or, you know, you, you just sort of start to put together those clues yourself. And I felt like Alex could really be that woman who going to go do something about it. And I think that's sort of like what we all fantasize about when we listen to these things. Yeah. And I love that you were able to, we know you're a big fan of your horses and podcasts and you were able to incorporate that in the movie. That was kind of cool. It was like, wait, that's a really, that's really an Ali Sweeney thing. We know that. (laughs) (laughs) I know, I know it was, you know, I mean, also that a lot of those actors are people that I have worked with on other movies and um, some of the locations are just like, just the opportunity. Yes. To ride a horse and like include that, you know, in some ways those were clues I came up with, you know, that I was like, Oh, well, you know, if you were horseback rider, that would be, um, these are the ways that you would figure that out years later, you know? And, um, I love the difference between a detective whose job it is to figure it out. And those of us who are just sort of thinking we're quite clever and we can do it ourselves. You kind of have to like build in that stuff you would figure out. Right. So we know that making movies that families can watch together is something that's important to you. And do your kids watch your movies? Is is it something that you guys do as a family? Do you sit down and all watch your movies? Um, you know, the truth is I'm a, like a little self-conscious watching uh, the my work with my kids, but I do get really excited about having them experience it. So sometimes I'm hovering um, behind them, like Aww. watching uh, but I do really love getting their feedback from the movies. And, um, I, I have said a couple of times, but it's true. Megan is very, uh, what's the right word? Like cutthroat. Like she thinks everyone is guilty and she's the first, <laughs> she's very accusatory. And I'm like, Megan, the murder hasn't even happened yet. Yeah. Well, I, think guilty. I love that. You gotta love that. Yeah. So I'm, I don't know who played Chuck, but I loved his character. He was so fun. Mm-hmm. And um, the, the like uh, gossip journalist. I just love those like little characters in there. Not little, but you know, yeah, those pieces Eileen. of it. Yeah, that just ended up being an important thing because gossip is really, I think it's very important, much more important than people realize. <laughs> <laughs> I was glad to feel very represented by a pop culture sort of thing. <laughs> so thank you. <laughs> right. And I think that... Um, 
I think that it, 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 that is the other fun thing about creating the story myself, right? With Melissa, who um, is my writing uh, partner. And she is, we talk all the time about all the characters, making sure everyone has a place and a skill set that goes towards solving the mystery together. And that, you know, Eileen's gossip from the tennis courts is very helpful. And, and that she has the history or she knows the family or she knows, you know, the past relationship. And I think all of that, you know, um, does allow the story to be more rich and interesting and fun. And like you said, like there's always someone you can relate to on the screen that gets you feeling like you're part of it. Right. So what is your favorite part about making these movies? Is it the acting or just the whole creative process or the producing or what is Ali Sweeney's favorite thing? Well, truthfully, developing the ideas really is part of my favorite part because it is watching, you know, Dateline and Forensic Files and watching, you know, listening to all the podcasts and getting a sense of like, what's a new story? What's a different type of uh, crime or a different way or motive for murder, like just getting all those ideas together. I swear, uh, I think we've you've said this on the show before, but if someone looked through my Google uh, history, I would definitely get arrested on that basis alone. Yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, you know, it's it's exciting and fun, and you know, M- Melissa and I work really hard on uh, on my Melissa, and I work really hard on developing everyone's motivations so that. Again, I mean, as insane as it is, Liz had a goal and her her goal was so clearly like to get Dave to take her back. And I mean, you think about what she did for that. It's crazy. But uh, that was what she was trying to do. And it worked for a time. She did end up getting Dave over there to protect her and over there feeling guilty. Like it was his fault that she was being stalked by this crazy woman. And I mean, I just can't fathom how she thought that would all work out in the end but um you know that that was what she was going for and then try and then later on her goal was to try to shift the blame to amy for possibly the same reason i mean it wasn't really crystallized but to me uh, you know he moved closer to amy and now amy is her new obstacle as if like the two of them are going to be happy together if she can get rid of all these other women he's interested in right yeah for sure is there anything else you want to tell us about your movie, your movies? Well, right. So there are two more coming up this Sunday and then March 3rd also. So be sure to tune in to the next two. And I'm sure you can catch, you know, on demand or a repeat of uh, the first episode, Chronicle Mysteries Recovered, if you're listening to this podcast and missed it last night. How dare you? Um, <laughs> I know. I, I forgive you. <laughs> But I, I hope that people really get on board for the series because they are our characters that are going to be ongoing and you get to know them and their journey together. But each movie would have a close ended, you know, a case that you get to see all the way through right. to the finish. And, um, you know, I, I think this is a perfect case to lead into next week's episode. Yay. Yeah. And I, I really was a big fan of Alex's style and how she wore sweaters all the time. And I felt that that was specifically, again, I identified with, with her in that sense. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I feel like you did it on purpose, but you don't have to tell me. I mean, I just leave, let you wonder, Yeah, but it was very podcast chic in a wardrobe fitting. Honestly. And I, I, don't hate shopping, but it's not my favorite thing to do. But you go to a wardrobe fitting and basically for like 90 minutes, you try on 
you know, 50, 60 different outfits. It's like a lot. You just are taking clothes off, on off and putting them on and whatever. And uh, it was so fun. Flo, um, who does the wardrobe for these movies, she and I would just be like, that's not podcast chic. Kick it off. Kick it off. You know? so we, had like, we were just had a very specific style we were going for. And, uh, you know, it was inspired by some people. So I love it. I'll leave it at that. <laughs> that's funny. Well, I feel like there was too many pants to be me or Mandy, to be perfectly honest. Like, we've we've got the pajama thing going down. I'm, I'm all business on the top, but I'm wearing pajamas on the bottom all the time. Since we're talking about wardrobe right now, Allie, I don't know if you can see my shirt, but I wore it just for you today. Can you see it? Yes. Amazing. <laughs> it's very aggressive, I feel. Very aggressive. Her shirt says the husband did it because yes. Mandy oh, yes. is trolling us. Yes, I am. <laughs> but, I mean, I I love that shirt and I think there's, you know, definitely not you're not wrong. <laughs> There you go. So, <laughs> so Allie, if you have a quick minute, we wanted to play our little last thing before we go with you. Yeah. Great. Okay. So we have a question from Sarah H. And it is, what is one thing that you would never want to buy in a buy one, get one free? What's one thing you'd never want to have a buy one, get one free of? Oh, I don't have to go first. No, you don't. Mandy, you do you want to go first? <laughs> Let's make Mandy go first. Yeah, with her yeah. sassiness. Go yeah. ahead. So um, Melissa shared this. She told me earlier today that this was going to be the question. So I've actually had time to think about it. And I still haven't come <gasps> up with anything that I would be like mad about having a free one of because I'm just a cheapo and I like free things. So give me anything for free. I don't really care. I'm not picky. But um, <laughs> a couple of things that came to mind were just things that like you don't need to wear right. necessarily. So you wouldn't want to have them. So like appliances, like I'm not going to want two refrigerators. Well, maybe I yeah. would want two refrigerators, actually. That actually doesn't sound terrible. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I take that back. Um, but then other things were just like terrible. Like I wouldn't want like a buy one, get one free colonoscopy or like any kind of medical no. procedure. Mm -hmm. I just want I just want one at a time. But <laughs> there you go. Okay, so um, mine is probably like more accurate, but more, uh, but more embarrassing to admit. So, um, this is, you know, it's just the first thing that came to my mind, which is that like the one thing you wouldn't want to of is if you're embarrassed to buy it in the first place. And now you're like, you know, with your kids or at oh, the yeah. supermarket <laughs> and it's a young man and you're purchasing feminine products or something. The last thing you want is like a second a box. Like, <laughs> yeah, like stacked up and you're now you're carrying it because you you're trying to save money but like the last thing you want is call attention to yourself like lumbering over there with your <laughs> equipment a tower of supplies them. yeah so mine yeah. mine would be a hitman you don't want to buy one get one free hitman <laughs> that guy is not going to help you out if he goes to the police if the police talk to him he's going to give you up if it's a free one maybe not on the one you pay him for but that free yeah. one he's you, just singing you get what you pay for exactly and hitman i really think it's a <laughs> quality sort of thing you got to really give if you want to get in that situation so yeah. the b is for bargain there you <laughs> there you go but, that's smart. Is, that a, is that a reference you don't you you're missing melissa yeah i couldn't hear you <laughs> can you say it again oh. so i laughed <laughs> doc torb the b is for bargain why don't i get it <gasps> <The Simpsons. gasps> oh okay so i'm not cool enough for no, the simpsons it's been on for 
for like 30 years. I know, but it's- How could you miss the No, Simpsons? no, I've seen The Simpsons, but I don't know all of The Simpsons. I feel like it's a culture <laughs> I've just not been enough in. Oh. I'm not Stop cool enough. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Allie. You this is the best moment of my life. <laughs> it's hurtful. I liked it better when I just laughed because I knew it was appropriate to laugh. <laughs> Oh. oh, that was hard. So, Ali, last question. If I don't know. If, by the way, it may just outdate you, like, age-wise, because um, it may be from, like, the first two or three seasons of Oh, of yeah. Like, I go way back on that. I'm actually just 22, <laughs> so this is all new to me. I'm just much yeah, too yeah. young for these sort of references. Although so Seinfeld, like I could do. Yeah, yeah, I know Family Guy. All right, so... Ali Sweeney, last question. If you were looking for a mystery movie you could watch with your entire family featuring American sweetheart Ali Sweeney and a lovely cast of characters, what would these movies be? They are called The Chronicle Mysteries. Thank you. And you will find them on Hallmark Movies and Mysteries Channel Sunday night at 9, 8 central. <laughs> Perfect. Perfect. I cannot wait to check all of them out. Ali, thank you so much for coming back on the show with us. And I said in the beginning, this was your second annual visit. And oh, that yeah. implies that you have to come back again next year. So. There's, a, there's a third annual. Annual meaning like yeah. every year we're going to have to. Exactly. Uh, Not yeah, have to, get, get together, to. Get the band back together again. <laughs> yeah. Yes. And so if you guys stay on, we're going to play a promo from our friends with Date with Dateline. Ali, have you listened to them? You like Dateline. I do love Dateline. I have to check out Date with Dateline. They are the best, the funniest. You'll love them. And they would get your Simpsons reference because they're old. No, I'm just kidding. Older? <laughs> no, not at all. <laughs> I, I, I talked to you. It's fine. I can take it. I can take it. That's fine. Ladies, you are awesome. Thank you so much. Thanks so much for coming on. Diabolical. Vengeance. Betrayal. Bad hair. Leaning. Hi, everyone. This is Kimberly. And this is Katie. And we have a weekly podcast called A Date with Dateline, a recap of Dateline episodes. We talk about important issues like grainy surveillance footage, cell phone towers, Andrea Canning's white jeans, and Mankey's hankies. We delve into the details of any victim who's ever loved life or lit up a room. So find us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and iTunes to make A Date with Dateline. And remember, don't watch alone. A Date with Dateline is a podcast hosted by two professional amateur true crime TV experts with no formal training, but evidence lockers filled with snark and uninformed opinions. Thanks so much for listening to the Moms and Murder podcast. Make sure to check back with us next week for a new episode. You can also find us at momsandmurder.com where you can connect with us via social media. Please make sure you subscribe and give us five stars because giving us four stars would be a crime. Thanks so much.